welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 109 of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I discuss the books we're reading for the first time and share our thoughts and notes with each other. If this is your first time listening, we suggest reading The Legend of Dritz, book three, Sojourn. 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 Which one is the wrong way? Which way does it bugs you? Because I want to say it like that. Uh, Sojourn. Sojourn. Chapter no. Sojourn. 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 Chapters 8 through 13 before listening to this episode. That way you too can follow along. Do you have any housekeeping? No. Then I suggest we jump right in. Let's do. To Chapter 8 Clues and Riddles. Summary The Rangers arrive in Maldabar and assess the gruesome murder scene, determining. A drow did not slaughter the Thistledown family. Mick Gristle does not agree and intends to accompany the band of rangers in their hunt for Dritz. Fleeing from his battle with the Bargus brothers, our dark elf hero is pursued by the hill giant Lagerbottom for what seems like a full day before the drow grows tired and sets a trap for the beast. Lagerbottom suggests an alliance before Dritz strings him up in a tree and presumably ends the giant's life. That's what happens. Do you have any notes? Uh, I really enjoyed the CSI elements of this chapter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the uh, Doves Rangers, I guess we'll call them, uh, showing up and examining shit and Fret getting mad at all the villagers. Um, This comes up later, but this is a good enough place to talk about it. I don't... There's Dove, there's Fret, and there's the Elf, whose name starts with a K... The other two guys are pretty interchangeable to me. I know really nothing about them. I, I don't remember them at all. Kalindil. Kalindil's the elf. And then... There's two other the, people whose names I don't remember. The two other people, right, who are just, like, there. And I wish they just had something a little more... Or they Given an eye patch or something. Yeah. Um, But no, I, I, I like the investigation. I like Dove's dawning sense of Dritz's innocence. It's not bad. It, uh, it seems to be deliberately in reference to or uh, allusion to at least the sequence in Two Towers where Aragorn discovers the the goblin uh, fight yeah, yeah, yeah. where yeah. Uh, the, the ho- or Merry and Pippin had been captured and he assesses the ground nearby to determine that two halflings were here and they ran off and were bound and look they've cut their bonds here and they run into the trees that's that's what this this moment reminded me of very and 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 again to me seems very clearly like in reference to or informed by at least that concept of what a ranger is that's a really good point and i hadn't uh considered that and i think you're exactly right thanks um do you have any more notes in that chapter i don't well, let's move on to Chapter 9, The Chase. Summary. The Rangers, Fritz and Roddy, discover Ulugul's half-transformed dead body as they search for the Thistledown's murderer. Dove and her compatriots discern that a drow couldn't have committed the axe in the destroyed fa- uh, farmhouse and correctly deduce that Dritz is not only innocent of those crimes, 
but seems to have gone after the true murderers and avenged the farmers' deaths. Driest, aware he's been followed, sends Guinevere after the rangers. I guess to get intel. But can he talk to the cat? How would he learn anything by using the panther as a scout? Anyway, uh, Guinevere is detected and shot up with an arrow while escaping the ranger's camp. That That's really like a note hidden in a summary. Because like, it made me wonder, like, how do they communicate? Like, Dritz can talk to Guinevere, but the cat, how... how how does he get... What What good is it to send it out as on a scouting mission if it, when it comes back it can't be like, okay, here it is, six six dwarves, you know, three orcs. Like, it can't tell you anything, so what, what's the I fucking mean, point? it could be like Trigger, and he could like paw the ground when he asks questions. I guess. Um, Or growl menacingly when he says, you know, do they intend me any harm, or do they not, or... I, I guess... Know. <laughs> no, you make you make good points. It's just like it it's a fair but it's a fair point though. It's one of those things that it just happens because I say so, not because I've set up this communication or this thing. Or like and later is, we yeah. get we get the interactions where like Guinevere's like, Oh, I'm nudging you hard. I'm nudging you. That means I'm communicating something and you can all pick up on it. It's like though that like affirmatives or negatives I think you could easily discern. I, I discern that from my pet. Yeah, but like specifics <laughs> um, are beyond them, and so that's that's where it seems like an odd thing to do to send out a nonverbal party member after intel. Do you have any notes? <laughs> um, I'm giving the whole plowshare a little bit more grace because uh, McGrizzle is that what it was? Roddy McGrizzle. Gristle. But Gristle uh, recognized it as belonging to the Thistledowns, and they were able to, you know, to help it paint a picture. Although, again, I still think you could have had the, you know, the, there's a frying pan missing from this rack of frying pans. And, oh, we found the frying pan. It, 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 the, the fact that he went to the great lengths for the plowshare still seems The tedious. only thing I can think of is that it's blade. it's a bladed weapon, so therefore potentially more deadly. Or it's a bladed tool, and it has a curve. Plowshares tend to be basically big scythes, right? So, right, like, I think so. It's it's kind of like a scimitar, and it's broken, meaning it might be easier to wield one-handed like a scimitar. If if they had gone out of their way for Dritz to say something like, "It's awkwardly heavy. It's heavier than my broken or my lost scimitar, but the shape and utility is so close that I feel like it's a functional like replacement." Anything that would have sure. specifically indicated why that item and why Dritz would have been like drawn to it as opposed to asking us to infer it. Yeah, because I had to actually look it up. It's one of those things I'd always heard of because they talk about soldiers beating their swords into plowshares, but I never actually you know knew what one looked like. So I looked it up. I'm like, oh, this thing is awkward as hell. Yeah. I like that it feels like the fugitive now. Mm-hmm. With... Uh... They're just tracking him because that's what they do, even though they kind of are starting to think he's innocent. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed that. And he was a drow on the run. And spoilers, I'm a little disappointed it didn't last. But there it is. Yeah. Uh, that's about it for me. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, that, let's move on to the next chapter. Chapter 10, A Question of Honor. Summary. Wow. What a chapter. So much action. 
The ranger party's search for Dritz continues for several more days, and on one night, Dritz actually presents himself as non-violent and friendly to Kelindal, the elf member of the search party. Kelindal errs on the side of caution and rejects the drow's peaceful pleas before Dritz vanishes behind an orb of darkness. Later, despite the drow's many clever attempts to lose the rangers, the search party catches up to Dritz in a mountainous area full of stone giants. A magnificent battle ensues between the giants and the rangers, but seeing the search party outnumbered compels Dritz to act and come to their rescue. After the dust settles, the rangers take their leave and return to Maldabar, for they have learned not only that Dritz is innocent of the Thistledown's murders, but he's also exacted their revenge against the Vargas brothers. I liked and disliked this chapter. Okay. Um, I liked it because it was action-packed and stakes were rising and there was the tension with Roddy McGrissel clearly kind of coming in, you know, basically admitting at least to himself out loud and to us that he knew Dritz was innocent but wanted that money anyway. Right. And everything was mounting and I thought it was great. Just to have it just end. You're like, oh, you're 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 clearly not guilty. Goodbye. And I'm like, there goes my whole trial, my whole courtroom drama, my whole <laughs> Dritz is in the prison while the the mob is coming to kill him, and and Dove is working to unturn clever clues and and logic, and like, ah, oh, I can prove that he's just I, I wanted an anatomy of a murder with 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 Drow. And damn it, I did not get it. And it was, it was frustrating because I, I, I mean, I guess in a sense, I, I guess I was surprised again because he took it in a direction, but it just felt like way more. This I can't tell if this book feels more episodic with the adventures being self-contained to these parts, or if all the books have been like that, but I didn't recognize it because they all the other ones happened in the caves. And it felt like everything was just dark and gloomy and cave-like. I think they have, to me, they felt episodic, at least through the last book. I think. I even... think this would make a great animated show. Is what I'm oh, saying. really? You think yeah. so? Like a Netflix mm. thing? Mm-hmm. It's definitely been something that has not been said before okay. on our show. Right. I will say, however, that this feels more. These episodic moments feel disconnected more. Okay, yeah. Than yeah, the yeah. others did. In terms of a, like a traditional narrative, it feels less like cohesive when you're like, well, the the character wants to be friends with the the family, but then he wants to have a nice calm peasant life, but here comes the Kurgan. And, right, right. And he's going to destroy everything and then you're like, "Oh, cool, this is just going to be the whole movie where he fights the Kurgan." And then it's like, "No, that just stops." Right. That bad guy's not- gone now. I'm not and, saying these events aren't linked, you know, that one leads to another, but they just have their own little mini climaxes. They they lead to one another a lot like a, an old Simpsons episode where it's like, yeah, yes. I guess this episode started out at the Leftorium, but somehow we're in prison. Like, <laughs> yes, it feels like longer versions of that. And I'm, that's not a criticism because I think that that more than anything, more than any of my observations so far really that observation is what makes this feel like a Dungeons and Dragons adventure is that sometimes, and again, I'm, I'm sort of suggesting that as an intention of the writer. Yeah, no, I hear you. I, I don't know if that's the case. I have no, no reason to believe that's the case other than it's a Dungeons and Dragons book. 
those you know those adventures those stories as especially if you're building them from scratch like you can you can very much like end up in strange places from disconnected beginnings you can here i guess here's my two my problems with that um one it's happened a lot now and like how many times are we going to have the drawn out intro before we end up wherever unless it just keeps happening till we end up at the end, which will not be satisfying Two, some of these storylines I've gotten really excited about thinking, Oh, this is going to be great. Only to have it be like, no, that's over. Right. Which is, which becomes frustrating. Yeah. No, because I'm looking for something to like. And then I'm like, I found it. No, I don't. Well, or I found it and it's gone. <laughs> yes. It like dopplers at you. Absolutely. I, I can, I can appreciate that. I, Cause I, I, I'm experiencing it also. I, do, however, especially by the end of this book, have a theory about why it's happening. Okay. More than just it's to make it feel more like D&D. I think there's another reason. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I will be interested in that. My note in this chapter is that I really like the Ranger Party's dynamic. Uh, I like how gruff and off-putting uh, Roddy McGriddle is and how reasonable everyone else is. <laughs> Uh, I think it's kind of funny, and it reminds me of the relationship Boromir has with the rest of the Fellowship, uh, especially yeah, okay. at the end of the of, of Fellowship, where he's he starts to be like, you know, what if we took it the ring to Gondor, and they're like, shut the fuck up, Boromir, <laughs> what is wrong with you? Why would you suggest such a stupid fucking thing? You fucking weak-minded man, ugh, disgusting. And I wonder if that's also partially deliberate. Like, to the, I mean, I have a I have a feeling that uh, Salvatore took quite a lot of ins- influence from. Oh, I agree. I mean, well, I can infer that, but let me read the about the author section of my book. Okay. R. A. Salvatore was born in Massachusetts in 1959. His love affair with fantasy and with literature in general began during his sophomore year of college when he was given a copy of Junior R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings as a Christmas gift. He promptly changed his major from computer science to journalism. He received a Bachelor's of Science degree in communications in 1989 and returned to the degree he always cherished, the Bachelor's of Arts in English. He began writing seriously in 1982, penning the manuscript that would become Echoes of the Fourth Magic. His first published novel was The Crystal Shard from TSR in 1988, and he is still best known as the creator of the Dark Elf Drizzt, one of fantasy's most beloved characters. So yeah, I think it's in there. How how annoyed with his parents do you think he is that he didn't have a second name starting with A? (laughs) Um, not annoyed enough to go get his name changed. (laughs) Because, like, you know, George like, did it. Robert, it's just going to be raw Salvatore. You don't want to be raw. Yeah. Um. Okay. Side note. Yep. Did George really do that, or is that, uh, is that you being silly muggins again? Did George really do what? Change, add an R to his name. Oh, no, I'm just saying that, like, he does, he, I don't know if it was, well... What's happening? 
I thought maybe you were doing one of your classic bits. And A, I stepped on it. And B, I didn't want to just ask, really? Did George R. Martin actually add an R to his name so he could be like J.R.R. Tolkien? That wasn't the comparison I was trying to draw. Oh, because you're like, George did it. George did have a name. Oh. Okay, but George did it has a little more agency on the subject. Like he went out and did something, not like he just had it. So that I, that's my confusion. I'm sorry. I just I want to hear you. I want to I want to help build with you and grow with you. Okay. Okay. Do you have any more notes in that chapter? I don't. Well, that brings us to part three, Montolio. Summary: Dritz just basically says he's an atheist. <laughs> yep. My my note here is uh. Dritz questions that the concept of gods as they appear in the Forgotten Realms are actually beings. He submits that the god of any single thing, be it an ideal or virtue, is perhaps just the name we give to one such a personification. Is Loth a real spider queen, or is she just the drow-made symbol of their own social mores? While I think Dritz may make a compelling case to the budding atheists of Earth... I think he's unfortunately completely incorrect about the gods of the Forgotten Realms. They do appear to be quite real and quite powerful, no matter how much you reject, reject their tenets. Yes. So, I mean, it's like watching an actual miracle happen and then go, nah, <laughs> nah, like like the whole... Uh, Regularly communing with the equivalent of that god's angels. Yeah, or or like or getting that whole uh, the 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 spirit warrior like exactly. spell. Yeah, that yeah. that whole thing happening is like mm, that happened. Um, yeah, that's documented. That's uh, quantifiable. That is under special circumstances repeatable. Yeah. Now, whether or not the thing that bestows that power on you is is actually a deity of some of some kind. Right. I guess that is a fine it, it, thing I, to debate. I guess it is, but then again, maybe the person debating it could just be wrong about what a god is. I mean, right. so you're back to square one. It's 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 pointless. Right. It's a waste of time. My one note in this is college freshman dritzed. Yeah, it, it like it felt like it felt like like watching the uh, Penn and Teller's bullshit episode on atheism when I was 14, and being like, "This is great," but that's but that's that deep. Right. And and it's and and I guess my thought is. As I commented here, that like again, he has to be writing for an audience. Maybe he really is seeking out in 1988 or whenever this book, 1992, 92, um, I think, seeking out like those, like I said, burgeoning atheists, the young, sure. you know, people giving who voice are, to the 14 year olds, right? Who are who are questioning and looking for somewhere to find a perch in their questioning, and sure. he's providing it potentially. So. It's fine. It just again, I hate those fucking interstitials. I hate those little things. They're so bad. Yeah. All right. Well, then, if you don't have any more notes, let's move on. Uh, chapter eleven, winter. Summary. Uh, this chapter introduces us to Montolio, the aged blind ranger, with many animal friends, who's used his owl Hooter to keep tabs on Dritz and monitor his survival during the winter months. As the days grew colder, Dritz found himself unfamiliar with winter survival techniques and had to learn nearly everything from scratch. How to build a fire, how to ice fish, 
and all the many ways those two skills intersect. He took shelter with a brown bear in its cave before winter gave way to spring, when Dritz left the stirring bear to its cave and made his way to a smaller, less crowded cave a little south. This chapter and the subsequent orc chapter is really starting to feel like the padding of this novel. Um, I like I liked a lot of what happened here, but there's definitely it's and I'm starting to feel that glazing over of. I feel like you had some real great story potentials earlier, and you just capped them, and now we're just plotting, and I don't understand why you made those choices what the ultimate goal is. I know I need to get to the end of the book to, 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 you know, properly look back on it, but right now it's a little frustrating. Well, I think that that, this is a li- not necessarily premature, but this is a little early, but that's, that's what I think the whole, I think that's what I figured out. Oh, okay. Is what he is doing is he's trying to find a way. He's spending three books explaining how Dritz learns to be a surface dweller how he goes from being a prince in Menzo Baranzan to being a the a, a, re, a, re, a renegade drow who completely rejects all of the ideals and mores and, and culture of drow society and fits in very well on the surface world. Presumably that's what he does because we haven't read Crystal Shard, but like... Um, Especially with the, the with this chapter, with him experiencing what seasons are, with learning about how he has to learn what friendship is in the last book. He has to learn, like, it's very much, like, those things are, are things that I think a lot of adventure stories would just move through. And I think what Salvatore is doing is he's really, he's trying to build this story that really justifies that transition. Sure. I think he's trying to spend a lot of time on those things. I think to him, that's the actual meat of the book. Explaining how Dritzt learns a variety of different things uh, about how to behave in, in the surface world society and how to make that transition so he can become the character we'll eventually meet in the Crystal Shard. So I think that the other things are him trying to be like, this is the red meat that I think people want. But what I want is this story about this guy becoming a person. Yes, sir. I don't think he necessarily went about it effectively, but again, I guess I have to wait to the end of the book to find to to judge that. I wouldn't even disagree with you. I, I I think that there's potential. Like, okay, so this reminds me. This whole idea reminds me a lot of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. I've got to know on that coming up. This, yeah, this very mean, chapter in 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 Frank in Frankenstein. You know, after the the monster, the creature, finds his way to a literal. I guess we can wait. It's the same. It's the fucking. It's the fucking note you're gonna make. I can let you make it. No, I don't need to make it. I don't care. You're just gonna be better. Make it. Well, he he, literally in the book. If you read it, he finds himself outside the 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 cabin, like a woodland cabin, of an old blind man, who takes him in and essentially teaches him how to read and how to function and speak. And fairly certain there's a violin involved, fairly certain music's involved. Uh, it's been a couple years since I read that book. It is very similar <laughs> to what will happen in the following chapters. I think that what he's doing is he's taking that 
that idea of that experience and he's making it three books that have a series of semi unrelated but connected like like uh strings of popcorn <laughs> battle scenes mm-hmm. but the thing that connects them the thin the thin thread that connects them is I'm trying to explain to you how this guy becomes a functioning a functioning person in the surface world. And I think he's trying and I don't think he's failing, but I think he's I think it's it, it could be it could be more. There's ways where it could appeal to me more, but I don't know if that means it's it's bad. That's fair. Like, I think I would have liked the more specific Frankenstein allegory where he is taken in by the thistle downs and then a roaming band of goblins comes to attack them and he saves the thistle downs and then they become friendly to him and maybe something like, and this is boring. That's why I'm saying. This is why I don't think he did this because my ideas are, I think there are, they appeal to me, but I think they're generally more boring where like, I think it'd be fun to watch Dritz take a very long time to learn how to be a, an adult, if you will, like a surface world person with this farm family in this small village until he's like, like spend a couple decades with them because he's got time to burn and watch them all grow and die like dogs. Like, you know how we would have pets and then be like, Oh wow. I don't know if I want to do that again. I kind of get how to function out here. I'm going to go try to do some good in the world. And then he takes out and goes off and fights monsters or whatever. It is that he seems, does in later that seems just as valid as what we've read because it's not, you know, the existence of the idea. It's the execution. And right. so far the idea is, have certainly been executed in this book. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, do you have any more notes in that chapter? Um, there, here's a, here's a, and this is easily something I could have missed. Um, he knew the less exposure his scimitar had to the sun, the longer it would retain its edge of magic. How did he know that? Cause last time we thought about this, there's just like, Oh, my swords are working. They're losing their magic. Now he knows it's the sun. Did I miss a thing? Um, there were, a, I think, a, a couple mentions of that idea, but I think it's, like, been, I think it's the way J.K. Rowling suggests something, and therefore it's true. Okay, fair enough. Uh, will Montolio be the Frankenstein friend? That was all my note was. Right. Yours is better. Um, that's about it. All right, let's move on. To chapter 12, to know your enemies. Summary. Spring warmth is thawing the winter chill, and Drift has grown more adventurous as the temperatures increase. Venturing out across a nearby river, Dritz finds himself in an orc king's territory. The king is displeased by the drow's arrival and sends out two orc parties to murder the intruder. Guess what? That doesn't work out too well. <laughs> With the help of a mysterious archer... And Owl Team, Dritz survives the encounter only to meet the blind bowman who tells the elf, You're my prisoner now. Uh, I thought it was interesting that it was Warg, not Warg. But I looked it up, it just seems to be a Forgotten Realms thing. I don't know why that is, uh, since Warg seems to be a Icelandic or you know Norse scary wolf thing, so there's no reason you need to change it. But other than that... You don't know like what that fucking lawsuit said. That's true. I don't. Maybe you can't have orcs writing wargs because that's too close to something in The Hobbit, which is trademarked up and down. That's. I think that's exactly what Dungeons and Dragons has had to deal with. I mean, there's only so much. How, I guess there's only so far you can be derivative. Yeah. 
but uh i think we all know what they look like i think we all know what they're supposed oh, yeah. to be yeah. yeah 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 totally totally uh this is where this one i was really checking out of this chapter i was really uh looking forward to that uh doesn't matter doesn't matter i was i was having a hard time with the the warring and the fighting just another new bad guy to kill yeah but again that's that's again kind of how dungeons and dragons can be the game like not to beat that over sure. Your head, no, that's like, no, that's fair. But maybe, maybe if this was written in second person, then or something, right. include me somehow. Make it choose your own adventure. I don't know, but it's like coming over to watch someone's D and D game when I'm not excited to do that. If I was right, excited right. to do that, and I'm like, oh, I just want to see how these guys these play, and you're always a creative storyteller, and you're always interesting, and how the choices you make. So I'm just gonna watch, and that's gonna be fun. But if I'm like, I'm not in the mood. To, that's what we're doing tonight. Fuck. Okay, fine. It's it's like you're you're chaperoning a D and D game. Yes. It's like you you're obligated to be here and you have to make you have to pay attention and watch everything happen, but it is not your thing. Right. Yeah, that sucks. Hey, get those characters away from each other. Save room for Lolf. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, it it was it was one of those like, okay, you know, fine. This chapter happens. He kills a bunch more guys. We read about how cool he is when he kills guys. He kills guys all cool. <laughs> kills them dead. Some other guy shows up and kills a bunch of guys in a cool way. And you're like, whoa, how cool is that kill? And then you move on. I think I, I, think I was doubly frustrated. Because while I have made, mostly made peace with the fact that the storyline I was excited about is gone. Subsequent storylines have been have been brought up, like uh, Killdozer the elf, um, <laughs> is tracking him and giving him firewood so he lives through the winter and and hanging out with the other elves and they're all watching him. And then there's the blind man and all this is happening. And I'm like, great, we're gonna have something new and interesting. And instead, it was just the fucking orcs. Fuck all that. I wrote, but fuck all that interesting shit. Orcs. <laughs> Well, maybe you'll have better luck in the next chapter. Maybe we will. Do you have any more notes in this chapter before we move on to... Chapter 13, Montolio. Summary. Montolio welcomes a reluctant Dritz into his home, a series of lean-tos and holes in the ground surrounded by evergreens. Montolio took it upon himself to teach Dritz to read and write the common tongue as he found Goblin too cumbersome to facilitate discourse. As they became closer... Montolio gifted Dritz two scimitars, a gift for which the drow was most grateful. So, I get your description of Montolio's house. Lean-tos and structures and holes, but part of me wondered, because they did mention wooden caves, is that supposed to be Dritz's uh, concept of houses? I guess he's already seen the Thistledown's house, though. Yeah, I, I think it literally meant, like, tunnels like like imagine like wooden lined caves or uh, yeah like i was thinking like a, a hobbit house like a mine like okay. if you think oh, of how, okay. like a, a mine if you you could describe short that up as, like yes oh okay i didn't think about that sure so so not proper houses not proper like that's what i was describing as like as holes in the ground mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um they're not proper caves but they kind of are right that makes sense. Remember, that like sense. how you ever go to the Alaska Native Heritage Center, yeah, or the uh, museum and see their uh, Alaska Native like exhibits. There were like 
I don't remember which I don't remember which uh, tr- uh, tribe or uh, people it was, but there were some that would would dig big holes in the ground like that, and then like that that would be the, where they would dwell is like essentially like dirt igloos. Um, Digloos. That's not what they were called. Um, uh, but where they would have like like stairs or like ladders that would let them climb up and out side onto the tundra or wherever and then like do whatever they needed to do uh, i kind of imagined it was like that but i have that point of reference so like sure um uh, yeah could be any a number of the things we're describing no it's a good point and as i was saying it out loud i'm like nope uh i am certainly wrong about this i made a mistake and i am going to be honest and admit it that's big of you hmm. um also might not be that much of a mistake just be you're you're asking for clarification is not the same as making a mistake. No, because if I've asked for clarification, clarification, see now I've that my friend for clarification, that specific thing, it's not a mistake. Is, it's the word I wanted to make. Is the word I wanted to make happen? That, that might be a mistake. Nope, not a mistake. It's a new word that I, like Shakespeare, have invented. And you keep doing it's, that. It's not that easy. I, I'm sorry. Shakespeare kept inventing words too. It's what it's what we do. It's us us what uh, we do genii. Genial. That's not my word. That's not my word. Um, the point is, I've lost my point. What was I saying? You were making up well, words and talking about how you and Shakespeare are the same guy. And like, it was a bunch of stuff that sounds like the kind of, uh, you know, verbal expression that you would get before someone begs you to buy them booze on a street corner. And I'm just hoping that's not where this leads next. I mean, I just, just a little bottle. I'm not buying you anything. How about I'm some not... change? Can you spare some change? No. Ugh. I know what you're going to do with it. Wow. <laughs> uh, bake your wife a birthday cake. Yeah, I am. It's because you just did that. I mean, no, nobody's listening is going to know that that just happened, but you just did that. You, he's a great guy, ladies and gentlemen. Don't, don't let me... Don't listen to me. Say say cruel things about him. He he's a he's a gentleman and a scholar, like Shakespeare. He's say a bit it. more. Of a, he's a bit more of a rascal, wasn't he? I'm a rascal. Anyway, do you have any more notes on this chapter? Uh, Dritz very specifically decided to keep the second scimitar, which was gilded and fancy and begemmed, and I'm wondering if it's going to be magic. Oh. That's so, a clever thought. To to lay this out, uh, he he is re-enweaponed by Montolio, who mm-hmm. says, "You like the scimitar? I got a great scimitar. Here you go. What, else, what do you what do you want for the other hand? A shield? A, a dagger? What do you want?" He's like, "I want another scimitar." And he's like, "You son of a you greedy piece of shit. One's not enough. Fine. Here's another one. It's only for show, but barely you want it. Take my fancy scimitar." And Dritz is like, "Hmm, that's okay." I could put it back and get something useful. Nah, if I can keep it anyway. Well, yeah. The, the only thing you, you left out slightly that I think is important to to reiterate is that he didn't just give Dritz a scimitar. He yeah. took Dritz to his big hollowed out Winnie the Pooh tree that is full of weapons. Oh, bother. And, and said, uh, well, I'm blind <laughs> and I've collected a lot of weapons over my lifetime. What kind of weapon do you like? And you can have it. Just don't take my personal armor. It's my personal armor. It means a lot. It's got an owl on it. And and Dritz was like, I like scimitars. And Montolio was like, I got one. Here you go. And I got a second one. And then everything else Rob said was accurate. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
specifically Driss refuses a sword to complement his scimitar because even though the other one is weaker or not weighted properly and it's more for show. It's not weighted properly, but I bet it's weighted more correctly than a sword would be. Because you've got those, I guess, bottom-heavy blades or uh, top-heavy, depending I, on how you I, hold it. I think it depends on the sword. But yeah, I think that's that's essentially what Drift was alluding to, was that even even this like slightly off, less powerful, less, less sturdy scimitar would be better than trying to be heavy and straightforward with a sword with one hand and curvy and slicey with a scimitar in the other. Right, right. Because if you're going into your like whirly Ginsu thing, you're going to want the balance that you're used to, or as close to that as you can get. Yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, basically where the chapter ends. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have anything else to say. No, this is a relatively short area. A lot of starts and stops. But that that last chapter is where I really is sort of solidified for me. Oh, he's doing the Frankenstein thing. Oh, he's becoming a person. Oh, he has to learn how to be a functioning character in the surface world. He has to learn common. He has to get all these things taken care of. These all these things are requirements Salvatore has put ahead of himself that he story beats he has to hit. Mm-hmm. And this is the way he thought was the best way to do it. I suppose that makes sense. Yeah. Um all right. Nothing else? Nothing. Then we should uh do the first in a long time a new word alert. <laughs> I know, and this is actually one from like the first segment of this book, but I forgot about it, so we're gonna do it now. This isn't the new word I just invented a second ago. Uh, no, that's not a real word. That's a that was a mispronunciation that you erroneously claimed was an invented new word for which you didn't give a definition. Oh, really? It was a mispronunciation. What did it? What was my mispronunciation? I don't remember because it was a bunch Damn of it, nonsense. I don't either. That's why it's not a word. <laughs> Con- contemplation was that what it was no definitely started with a c i think okay that's important uh speaking of words that start with c we Koki have starts with the letter c our new word you ready yes cops cops or copes it's a little cluster of trees right cops Noun, a thicket, grove, or growth of small trees. Called yeah. also coppice. Or coppice. Me, me and Bill say copes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they. he's been using it a lot in this book. Uh, Salvatore has. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, I was like, why does he keep saying that? <laughs> and then every time he said it, since I forgot to bring it up in the last show, I'm like, oh, yeah, he... He keeps saying that. I should really remember the new word <laughs> alert. Um, well, anyway, that's that was uh, this episode. Uh, next time, we're going to read chapter 14 through part 5. Do not read chapter 20. And uh, that's what we'll do next week. So, I believe that was Death Readers. Yeah, that's it. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you.
If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. I'm recording now. Are you recording? Oh, I'm so recording. Still? What? I so, I'm so recording. Oh, okay. Well, you don't believe me? You think I'm a liar? You think someone who lies about recording? No. Well, I think you're someone who lies about mistakes you make. I never, ever lie about mistakes I make. Ever. Ask me about a mistake I made. Well, not if I wanted the truth. No. Ask me, I will tell not but the truth. Is there a bird outside your window? Yes. And that's not a mistake. But there is. I guess it depends on how you feel about birds. It's not my mistake. You were very enthusiastic <laughs> about that, about con- confirming that bird. I take responsibility for all my birds. Bird dins. I do. I do right by their moms. Weird. Okay. I like. I like chicks. What can I say? Ew. Ew. 